0: two texts that rang the note of victory, and that's the note you sound here. Very familiar, 1 Corinthians 15:57. thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. During the Second World War, Winston Churchill stood in the midst of the wreckage of London and held up. Two fingers in a V sign of victory. And that uh, became a well-known symbol. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stood in the wreckage of this sin-cursed world, said to his disciples, In the world you shall have tribulation pressure, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I like the way he so many times turned from ye to I. You are going to have trouble, but I, I've overcome the world. Now, there are other V signs of New Testament Christianity. Think with me for a moment about them. One is it's vital. It has life. It is life. It's the life of God and the soul of man. Our Lord came that we might have life. And have it more abundantly. Paul said to me live is Christ. Christ liveth in me. You don't get to heaven by living like Jesus. You can't do it by yourself. You don't get to heaven by living for Jesus as you would espouse some other cause. You don't get to heaven by being a Christ firster either. I'm a little leery of these folks who say they put Christ first. Because I have a sneaking suspicion they put a lot of other things next. And he really is Alpha and Omega. He's the whole thing, start and finish. So much of our modern Christianity is dead as a form of godliness without the powers like the church at Sardis. A church didn't have a reputation of being a dead church. It had a reputation of being a live church. But my Lord didn't think so. I read some time ago the... Town bell rang at noon and the church gave up her dead. That was on Sunday. And a rather sad comment, it seemed to me. When so many of our meetings start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull, there's something tragically wrong. There's the appearance of life, but my soul, a mortician can make a dead man look better than he ever looked while he was living. We have some of these programs for revitalizing churches. You heard about that. And after they get through, the corpse never looks so good, but still a corpse. Webster, Daniel Webster, made this terrific comment about the Constitution of the United States. You can change that one word and put church in there; it still holds. You may look on a government and see it possesses all the external modes of freedom, and yet find nothing of the essence the vitality of freedom in it, just as you may contemplate an embalmed body where art has preserved proportion and form amid nerves without action and veins without blood. Only Daniel Webster could have said it like that. And that can be the condition of Christianity. But it's Christ, and modern Christianity has just as much life as it has within it, the living presence of Jesus Christ. There's only been one Christian life lived anyhow he lived it. that's the only Christian life that's been lived but he lives it again in you and in me if we give him our consent and our cooperation. we preach him as Savior and we preach him as Lord but I wonder if we preach him enough as life and so we have a lot of Christians suffering from low vitality and spiritual anemia and to the average church member Christianity is a matter of church on Sunday but One never gets the impression that here's somebody who is day by day an example of the outliving of the in-living Christ. And then the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Only the living can propagate their kind. Spiritual corpses don't produce spiritual children. It must be vital. And then New Testament Christianity ought to be vocal. It ought to have something to say. I believe in an articulate faith. We've lost our voice today, and so much of the church is like Arctic rivers frozen at the mouth. No testimony. I grew up in the country down here, out of Hickory. We used to have, when I was a boy, an old-fashioned country doctor. His hours were 24 a day, seven days a week. You know, today you can't get sick on certain days in the week. Doctors not available though Dr. Ford was, we had a party line up and down the road on the telephone. His number, his ring was four longs. You could have died while they were cranking him up, trying to get to him. And as soon as four longs came on, you could hear all the receivers clicking up and down the road. Everybody wanted to know who was sick. And I can see old Dr. Ford coming in yet and sometimes late at night, hadn't had a bit of sleep. Shoes untied, hadn't had time to tie them, A pill bag that looked like it might explode any moment, so full of pills. And the first thing he'd say would be, let me see your tongue. That's a good way to examine a Christian. You tell me what you're talking about, and I can tell a lot about you. We have a vocal faith, beloved. Christian experience begins with repentance. Hosea 14.2, take with you words. That's vocal. And turn to the Lord. Faith is vocal. Romans 10.9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Jesus is Lord. Praise is vocal. Hebrews 13.15, by him let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Testimony is vocal. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, Psalm 1072. You see what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. And if you really have something down here in your heart, you will talk about it. You talk about what you're interested in. Some young fellow who's in love, If he knows you pretty well, he doesn't talk to you long until he, Gets out that picture to show it to you, and then you know love's blind when you see the picture. <laughs> but um, he's in love, and what's down in the well comes up in the book. It's vocal. Then it ought to be visible. It shows up in conduct. shows up in how you live. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John. That word boldness is found three times in that chapter. Seen by the world, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Then they had a prayer meeting, You remember, granted to thy servants that with all boldness, now that's what had gotten them into trouble to begin with, and here they were praying, Lord, give us some more, the same thing that got us into trouble to begin with. That with all boldness we may speak thy word. And then, I read, they had an earthquake, the place was shaken, and uh, they spake the word of God with boldness. Seen by the world, sought by the church, supplied by the Spirit. And that's the way it ought to be. Christianity is vocal, but the talk must be evident in the walk. He that saith, that's the vocal part of it. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. We're to love the Lord our God, and we're to love our neighbor. You can't tell whether a man loves God by looking at him. But you can tell whether he loves his neighbor by what he does. I was hungry and you gave me meat, thirsty and you gave me drink, and so on. You can see that. Of course, you can have a visible uh, practice of good deeds without vital faith, and that's the danger of social action without spiritual reality. But faith without works is dead. We are epistles known and read of all men. And if we're going to be read, if you're going to read something, there has to be something you can see. So we need an outbreak of vital, vocal, visible Christianity. And then it ought to be vivid. As TV says sometimes, live and in color. There isn't anything dull and drab about our faith. It's divine electricity. On the Mount of Transfiguration, I read that my Lord's face shone as the sun and his raiment was white as light. That's vivid. And I don't wonder that John fell out on the isle of Patmos when he beheld uh, the glorified Lord. Now, he had seen Jesus more different ways than anybody else has ever seen him. Saw him in the flesh. Saw him in his resurrection body. But he has one on the other disciples. Saw him glorified on Patmos. And that knocked him out. He didn't lay his head on the breast of that Christ that day. And I don't wonder, because I read that in the midst of the seven candlesticks, there was one like... Under the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. That's vivid. No wonder John couldn't take it. And I have a feeling that if we could have one little glimpse of our glorified Lord some Sunday morning at church, just one little glimpse, we wouldn't go out saying some of the silly things we say a minute after we get out the door. Christianity is not a pale and colorless faith. It's radiant and exciting. We're the salt of the earth, and that gives taste and flavor. We're the light of the world, and that gives brightness and cheer. Every page of the Acts of the Apostles is a sensational page. But the salt has lost its savor, and the light's under the bushel or under the bed, and the experience has become a performance, and the vivid, God help us, has become livid sometimes. Ashen and pallid and ghastly and ghostly. Christians used to shout in the aisles, and now they go to sleep in the pews listening to the same gospel becomes livid, it's because it's lost its vitality, because when it has no life, it doesn't have any luster. But finally, it's victorious. God gives us the victory. This is the victory. Today we're hearing about peace without victory. We've had two wars without victory. Paul Harvey says we were afraid to win them and ashamed to lose them. That's about the size of it. Korea and Vietnam, Douglas MacArthur said, in war there is no substitute for victory. There is no such thing as peaceful coexistence with communism or with the world or the flesh or the devil. These things are cancers and you don't have peaceful coexistence with cancer. If you don't get the cancer, the cancer gets you. Christianity wasn't meant to live at a truth. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. God's not dead and the church hasn't failed and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I am not presiding at the funeral of a dead deity and I'm not reading the obituary of a lost cause. I get a little uneasy about this rethinking. We have a spell of rethinking every once in a while. Rethinking Genesis and rethinking inspiration and rethinking the resurrection. It doesn't need rethinking, it needs reliving. And when you announce that we're going to have a group of experts to rethink our position, I think it gives the impression we're not quite certain about our position. I think we ought to take the initiative, like that old captain whose little band was surrounded by the enemy and a subordinate said, they've got us this time, we're surrounded. He said, good, don't let one of them escape. That's the spirit in which we ought to face the foe that we're up against today. Out in the west, an engineer built a wonderful dam and a great reservoir of water gathered behind it. And One day the report got out that the dam was about to break, and the engineer had built a cottage down below it. They began scurrying in all directions and warning the people, and somebody came up to him and said, get going. The dam is about to break. And he asked, what dam? They said, the one that you built is about to break. He leaned back in his chair and said, that dam won't break. I know what's in that dam. And you know they're running around now saying the old faith's about to break and the old gospel won't hold. I don't know what you're going to do. You can run if you want to. I'm staying. That dam won't break. It won't break till Calvary breaks. Won't break till the resurrection breaks. Won't break till John 3 breaks at verse 16. It's the rock of ages. I'm not nervous. It's not going to break. I'm looking for V-Day. Getting ready for the greatest celebration of all time when Jesus Christ comes back to consummate his trial. But for a Christian, any day is V-Day. When we're passing through great trial and testing, we are inclined to wait till the storm's over and the battle ended to celebrate victory. We lift our weary heads and our tear-dimmed eyes to some blessed day on ahead or even to heaven. We groan, and that's all right. Paul groaned, and creation groans, and the Holy Spirit groans when he prays for us. But we plod through gloomy days and sleepless nights looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. But if you know my Lord, today is V day. This is the victory. I am with you all the days, including this one, as miserable as it is. That victory was won at Calvary in the open grave. This is the only war I know of that started out with the victory. We're operating from our waterloo, and we're just engaged in mopping up operations. We're living between two V-days, the V-day of grace and the V-day of glory, the V-day of the cross and the V-day of the crown. And when the battle's the fiercest and no end seems in sight, if you can walk by faith that day in spite of feelings that drain the blood from your lips, and in spite of circumstances that laugh at you and tell you there's nothing to it, and you're a hypocrite, if you can rise above all that and still walk by faith, that's victory now. The war wasn't over when Churchill held up his two fingers. He was in the middle of it. And I've been passing through a time of great trial for three months. And I bring you good news this morning. I'm not making you a cute little pep talk here on this Sunday morning. I don't know what the outcome will be. I don't know when the clouds will lift and the sun break through. But I saw a little word on a preacher's desk the other day. I believe in the sun when the sun doesn't shine. I believe in God when God is silent. I know that sun's still up there when it isn't shining. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God just doesn't say And the hardest part of the road is that part where God doesn't say, and you have to wait. But he'll say, because we'll understand it better, you know, by and by, he'll say. And I'm not living under the circumstances, that'll crush you, and I'm not trying to fight my way through the circumstances, that'll kill you. Thank God you can live above the circumstances. I see not yet all things put under him. The devil's still here, and sin's still here, and disease's still here, and heartache and heartbreak, but I see Jesus. I don't have to stand on Jordan's stormy banks and cast a wishful eye. I can dwell in Bureau Land now. One of these days I'll stand before the throne complete. I'm not complete now, and yet I am complete in him. I've just been out in Kentucky where... Uh, The novel that you older folks read a long time ago, The Little Shepherd of Kingdom Come, was written. And they call it Kingdom Come out there, Kingdom Come Country. I wrote a book entitled it Kingdom Come. We're living in Kingdom Come. The kingdom came with Jesus. He announced it. We're living in it now. It has come, and it's still coming. It's a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, it's not visible, but one of these days, my Lord's going to set it up, and you can see it. It'll be visible. Righteousness first, mind you. Some people don't care for the righteousness. They'll buy books about peace and joy, and we had quite a spell of that some years ago. You remember Rabbi Liebman, and of course Norman Vincent Peale wrote books, and Bishop Sheen wrote books, and some dear lady wandered into a bookstore and asked, have you got a copy of that book, A Piece of My Mind, by Rabbi Norman Vincent Sheen? But... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I thank God that the kingdom has come. It's here and it's coming, and I'm ready for all of it. When I was a boy, I used to read a lot of stories, a lot of novels, and I always read the last page first. I wanted to find out what happened. Then I'd start back at page one. Sometimes it looked like the hero wouldn't make it through the next page. But I'd say, cheer up, friend. I know the end from the beginning. I've read the last page. (laughs) I've got a Bible here this morning that has no devil on the first page and no devil on the last page. Aren't you glad you've got one book, disposes of the Devil? Now, in the middle of it, it looks like he's got things going his way. Oh, devil. You can strut across that page all you want to, but your goose is cooked from the start. I've read the last page. And I know what's on. I'm not out to win the victory; it's been won. I'm standing with my Lord in His triumph. I'm not here to explain the world. I'm not here to enjoy it. I'm not here to endure it. I'm here to overcome it, and this is what overcomes. It. I have told it a good many times, and I tell it because it says it better than anything else. During the war, I was in a meeting with Dr. Phillips in Baltimore and his Presbyterian church. Closed on Sunday and was due to start with Bob Cook in LaSalle, Illinois, on Monday night. Trains were not keeping very close schedules, and somebody said, You'll never make it. In time, and I said, "Oh yes, the Lord wants me to speak Monday night over there, seven thirty. I know I get there at seven, and all that. But I think I'll make it." The next morning, I looked across from the Pullman, and over there was the Secretary of War. Now, of course, he didn't know me, but uh, I knew him. They say a cat can look at a king, so I looked. He was on his way to Chicago to make a big speech, and I was on my way to LaSalle to start a meeting. He sent word up to the engineer, we've got to make this on time. We did. We didn't even hesitate in most of those towns. We went right on through, but I had the time of my life. I said, this big shot thinks they're hurrying up this train to get him to Chicago to speak? <laughs> the Lord's getting me to LaSalle to start my meeting Monday night. Well, I had the government working for me that time. <laughs> and I want to say to you this morning, my Lord's on his way to set up his kingdom. He's running on a schedule. He may seem slow, but he'll never be late. And when he reaches that destination, you will be there too if you're on the same train. That's victory. It's a great line. It starts at victory and it ends at victory. And thank God it's victory all the way.